Jerusalem channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Understand this, the Apostle Paul said to his protege Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God and ungrateful, disobedient to their parents. They'll consider nothing sacred. What a description of today. People will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them holy. Jesus also said that famines and plagues will characterize the end times. Another sign of the times is the famine of fatherlessness that I want to explore with you. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. In the West, people are increasingly adopting a secular, hedonistic lifestyle, and the result has been the rise of anti-Christian culture. Paul's description of the last days certainly epitomizes our debased society. In Paul's own words, in the last days, perilous times will come. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God and ungrateful, disobedient to their parents. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. He said they'll be cruel and brutal and hate what is good and love what is bad. They'll be traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Jesus predicted the birth pangs of the last days will include deception, wars and war rumors, great earthquakes, famines and pestilences, plagues. And one of the greatest social plagues of our times is the plague of fatherlessness. It's been called a famine of father hunger. As one Jewish sage said, it's so well. The compassionate nurture that we receive from our mothers doesn't always necessarily establish a backbone in a child. For that, we also require firm, no-nonsense instruction from our fathers. But the absence of fathers has created a social time bomb. There are calls for fatherlessness to be treated as a public health issue because it results in poverty and crime. If ever there was a time for God's people to unite and pray for the healing of our land, it's now. And hopefully, I hope we've not reached the tipping point when God's mercy is outweighed by the necessity for His judgments to bring us to our senses. The destruction of society due to fatherlessness was alluded to in the Bible in Malachi chapter 4. But thankfully, God promises a remedy in that passage. Behold, he says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest God said, I come and smite the land with a curse. 
So this is what we desperately need for the hearts of fathers to turn to their children. And when they do their duty, the hearts of the children will likewise turn to their fathers and be healed. But meanwhile, disobedience to parents is a growing spiritual virus. And in many cases, it's due to the fact that minors simply lack active parents, especially fathers. It must be acknowledged that many single parent moms do heroic jobs in raising their kids. But nevertheless, children desperately need strong father figures to reinforce and demand moral standards. The young can't always understand why moral standards should be non-negotiable. Even many adults don't understand moral imperatives, and that's why moral standards are imperatives and not philosophies. Communities that allow a large number of men to grow up in broken families, dominated by women, simply are not able to relate to male authority in life, and thus crime and chaos follow. Well, I'm so very grateful for the gift of a godly heritage, an unbroken home of parents and grandparents who brought me up in faith and they imposed on me moral standards. How grateful I am for a mother who was a woman of God and a father who was a man of God. Because of his example, I had no trouble in believing in a loving heavenly father. But on the other hand, abusive or absentee fathers blaspheme God because they give a bad rap to our loving Heavenly Father. By the grace of God, I also have two successful sons. And while I tried to be a good mother to them, I know for a fact that they never could have been the great young men they turned out to be without the direction of their father, my husband who was such a great mentor and strength in helping to mold their lives. But young people who lack the protective factor of a father figure instead tragically look up to drug dealers and gangsters as their mentors. Last week, a police officer in Britain said that we don't talk enough about fatherlessness because it's too easy to blame the police, to blame the media, or drugs for crimes increasingly perpetuated by young boys. But we need to talk about absent fathers because studies have shown that children most prone to crime, along with many other disorders, are fatherless boys because they are denied the self-affirmation and the affection they crave from their absent fathers. These boys often turn to gangs and crime to fill the gap. The so-called Generation X was produced by the breakdown of the family. It's the generation born after the baby boomers. X represents an unknown quantity. Generation X, roughly from the early 1960s to the late 1970s, is typically perceived as directionless and discontent people toward authority. Many young people in Generation X, as well as many millennials, have no significant or real relationship with a father. Consequently, they have an identity crisis. The unspoken cry of their hearts is for a father. A former gang member in Britain who founded a charity 
to help young people at risk, says that society is battling bad parenting, absent fathers, and bad male role models. In an article reported by Melanie Phillips, the charity worker stated that absent fathers are the root cause of knife crimes. Another root cause has been the rise of cohabitation. Couples just living together without the benefit of marriage are three times more likely to break up than a marriage. Casual, loose living has therefore led to an increase in fatherlessness and all the subsequent problems for children, including depression, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, and sexual abuse as a substitute for love. In particular, boys are acting out their anger, disappointment, and grief and crime. Despite all of this degeneration, reports bemoan the fact that the devastating impact of family fragmentation has been largely ignored by the government for decades. But I ask, is this really a governmental problem or a spiritual problem? Has the church failed to be the salt and the light? Has the church failed to uphold the family unit? According to a survey by the Center for Social Justice, 75% of British adults think that more should be done to prevent families from breaking up. And 82% think it's important for children to live with both parents. But these are issues that governments can't really solve because they are heart issues. They are spiritual issues. I read this week where a retired probation officer said that he was anticipating becoming a great-grandfather. And he emphasized the importance for all fathers and grandfathers to pray daily for their kids and grandkids by name. He noted that as a probation officer, over 80% of his clients had had a poor relationship with their father. He said many of the kids never knew who their father was. And he said fatherlessness is the reason for our high crime rate and national problems. So he was writing up a pamphlet to hand out to every father at his church. He included the question, what is your relationship to your children? And he said, seek the Lord on how your relationships with your children can improve. He also said he wondered how many of our corrupted politicians had had a poor relationship with their fathers. Well, God created the family unit because he had the wisdom to know that mothers and fathers parent differently. Generally speaking, both parents teach us right from wrong. Mothers nurture us, feeding, supporting, and encouraging. Fathers are destined to provide the mentoring that directs our paths. Of course, there are crossovers in both parenting roles, yet generally speaking, Mothers are nurturers and fathers are authority figures. That's just the way God made it. As one rabbi explained, both parents contribute to the child's sense of morality, but fathers instruct us to adhere to moral standards, whether we like it or not. When the child rebels or demands a reason, a mother patiently explains. But a father is apt to respond sternly, because I said so. Well, 
One of my favorite Bible teachers is Derek Prince of Blessed Memory. And I'll never forget how surprised I was a number of years ago to hear him give a sermon at Jerusalem's Christ Church on the fatherhood of God. Derek confessed that he had never really known God as Father until later on in life. But he had faithfully taught the Bible doctrine of the fatherhood of God, yet he had never experienced it until he was delivered from a satanic oppression that had dogged him from childhood. Perhaps you've also suffered a similar experience due to oppression or lack of a good father figure. But the good news is there is healing and deliverance in the gospel, which breaks every generational curse and sets people free to be happy and whole. In the New Testament, God's title of Abba, Father, is referenced three times. Both Jesus and the Apostle Paul used Abba, Father, as an intimate term to characterize their personal relationships with God. In Hebrew, Abba is a term of endearment, meaning daddy. In Mark 14, 36, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And in Romans 8, 15, Paul admonished believers, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption when you became a believer, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And again in Galatians 4, 6, Paul said, And because you are sons, children of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The affectionate title, Abba, helps us to envision a good Father in heaven who knows our weaknesses and strengths and who has created us for His glory and pleasure. It's very interesting to me, as I've interacted with many Muslim friends over the years, how they have not been taught the fatherhood of God. In their religion, one of their doctrines is to insist that God has no son in fact, this doctrine of fatherlessness is enshrined among the inscriptions on the famous Dome of the Rock Shrine in Jerusalem. The inscription asserts that God hath not taken unto himself a son and hath no partner in sovereignty. Thus, the spirit of rejection that Ishmael experienced when he and his mother Hagar were expelled from the dysfunctional family of Abraham and Sarah, that spirit is enshrined in religion. Rejection became a generational curse. But remember, in the gospel, all curses are broken because Jesus bore curses, sin, and sicknesses for us on the cross. Hallelujah. That's the good news, the liberation of the gospel. Jesus came to set us free from generational curses. One of the best-known testimonials of a Muslim's discovery of Jesus is a book, one of my favorites, entitled, I Dared to Call Him Father. More than 300,000 copies are in print. I Dared to Call Him Father is the miraculous story of a Muslim woman's encounter with God and her healing of hatred of her husband who deserted her. 
The author was a prominent Muslim woman married to a Pakistani government official. Her journey to a personal relationship with God as father turned her world upside down and put her life in danger because she became a believer in Jesus through dreams and revelations and reading the New Testament. Originally published in 1978, the book has become a classic in evangelism. The point of mentioning this former Muslim's testimony today is that she had only known God as a distant rule giver, but through Christianity, she learned to know the Savior, the Son of God, and God as Father, our Abba. Likewise, former Muslim Nabil Qureshi explained how his search in the Bible for the truth about Jesus led to his conversion. As a young Muslim in the West, his community warned him not to be influenced by Christianity. By the age of six, Nabil said he had learned to recite thousands of times, God is not a father, God is not a son. But in the end, he discovered that God is a father, and he is also the son. My friend Karaite Jew Nehemiah Gordon has also written a book on the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, showing that it is, in fact, a very Jewish prayer that any practicing Jew can appreciate. The fatherhood of God is taught in both Testaments of the Bible. Nehemiah's book, co-authored with a Christian pastor, A Prayer to Our Father, documents the exciting journey of faith. Nehemiah, a Jewish Bible scholar, joined forces with an American pastor to uncover the truth about the most beloved prayer in the Christian world. And as the only prayer written by Jesus himself, think about that, the Lord's Prayer is considered by over a billion Christians to be their most familiar prayer. It's simply called the Our Father after its opening words. In ancient Hebrew, it was known as the Avinu prayer, based on the Hebrew word meaning our Father. How important it is that we pray, as Jesus taught us, to address the Father, and we come to Him in the name of Jesus. As Derek Prince taught us in Jerusalem, fatherhood is one of the main sources of our personal identity. And we see this in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, in its genealogies, a person was always identified as the son or daughter of a certain man. Occasionally in the Bible, a mother's name is mentioned, but that's rare. In the Torah, after the exodus from Egypt, a census was taken in the desert. Israelite families were recorded by the names of their fathers. In truth, according to the rabbis, no one needed a census to identify his mother because every child knows his mother. The question is, who is the father? Endless paternity suits in today's world attest to the fact that not every child can answer the question with certainty, who is my father? For that reason, the rabbis say they needed a census. Even today, taking one's identity from fathers is expressed in Many family names, such as Davidson, Jackson, Thompson, and so forth. In each case, a person's identity is derived from a father. But it's interesting that today, a person's Jewishness is defined by one's mother, because fatherhood can't always be proven. 
From the beginning, God designed that the family unit was created to be cohesive. It was important that all Jewish children could identify their fathers with confidence. And in the Bible, Jewish mothers certainly were not single parents. Most societies emphasize reverence for parents. And it's interesting that Judaism appears to have gone further with sacred duties also mandating that parents provide for their children with very specific preparations for the future. The Torah includes numerous commandments regarding parents and children. Fathers are commanded to circumcise sons on their eighth day of life. Parents are forbidden to sacrifice their children, neither to a foreign deity nor to God. Incest is strictly forbidden. The Torah commands that parents are responsible for educating their children. Firstborn sons must be redeemed. Insults to parents are subject to grave punishment in the Bible. Furthermore, Judaism sees parents and offspring as bound to each other as a way of honoring God. In fact, honoring parents is among the Ten Commandments. And the commandment to show reverence to parents appears in Leviticus 19, 1-3. In that passage, we learn that reverence is participating in God's holy plan. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Instruct all the community of the children of Israel. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then God follows that by saying, A man shall revere his mother and his father, and observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. The Bible also promises that honoring parents will lengthen life. It says, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long upon the earth that the Lord your God gave to you. Furthermore, according to the Talmud, fathers are required to teach a craft to their sons and to acquire marriage partners for their children. And get this, children are supposed to reciprocate. Both sons and daughters must honor their elderly parents by providing them with food and drink, clothing and covering, and providing for their mobility. The great rabbi, the Apostle Paul, knew all of this, and he drew from his Hebraic background when he wrote in 1 Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. Judaism also teaches that children should show reverence by not standing or sitting in a parent's place, by not contradicting their parent's words or opposing a parent in a dispute. How does that contrast with the sassiness and talking back heard so often in homes today? To honor one's parents is to honor God. Similarly, to display disregard, disrespect, or violence towards one's parents is to do the same to God. I also want to share with you this important teaching from our Hebraic roots. In the Jewish tradition, parents are viewed as partners in God's creation of each human being. Isn't that beautiful? I think this is awesome. The Talmudic sages taught that there are three partners in a person's creation the Holy One of Blessing, God, 
as well as a person's father and a person's mother. The place of a parent as God's surrogates, his representatives, is emphasized throughout the Bible, which commands us to teach the Word of God to our children. Adoptive parents, step-parents, and foster parents are, of course, included in this sacred relationship. There's a saying in the Talmud, he who brings up a child is to be called its father. Well, every Friday night on the eve of the Sabbath, Jewish parents bestow their traditional Sabbath blessing on their children, and they do so as God's representatives. Think of the children on our streets brandishing knives and involved in every manner of crime imaginable. If they had been consistently blessed by loving parents and brought up with mentors or godly fathers and mothers, their future and destinies would be so entirely different. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4 admonishes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Malachi chapter 4, at the end of the Old Testament, is about the hearts of fathers turning to their children in the spirit of Elijah, and it's the final word in the Old Testament, pointing to a specific focus on relationships between fathers and children. You see, God wants to spare people from being cursed, but their hearts must be changed, especially the disposition of the heart concerning fathers and children. That must be changed. Our generation desperately needs a spirit of Elijah that will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children back to their fathers. This thought can also be interpreted that God will unite the Jews, who are our spiritual fathers in the faith, to us evangelical believers who are their children. And this is happening, and I rejoice to see it happening. It's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In the meantime, Psalm 68 declares that God is a father to the fatherless. I pray that if you are fatherless, you'll be introduced to Father God, that you'll get to know and be groomed by the original Father, our Heavenly Father. Even if you're elderly, it's not too late to get to know God as Father, as my teacher Derek Prince did in later life, even though he'd been a Christian for many years. And Psalm 27, verse 10, is a wonderful promise to believe and to be comforted by. It says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Amen. That verse was a comfort to me after the death of my great mentoring parents. But we have God. We have Abba, Father. And he is a good, everlasting father, full of purpose, direction, success for our lives, and peace. He has everything we need if we will seek him. Well, I hope that this has been insightful to you and that you share this teaching with others. And to help you further, we invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. It features a Bible reading plan as well as information about our videos and eBooks. And for your further edification, we also publish a ministry magazine called Exploits. It has articles for you about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end-time events. There's also a 24-7 library of 
video teachings on all sorts of subjects at our website, exploits.tv, where you can learn details also about our prayer conferences in Jerusalem. If you've been helped by this program or our website, please share your thoughts with me through the social media. In the meantime, I'm always praying for the peace of Jerusalem and contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so until our next time together, Shalom, I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha.